Welcome to Welcome Heart, Living a Legacy Life podcast. My name is Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of welcomeheart.com. What better legacy than to open our hearts to God and open our lives and homes to others? Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Today we're talking about the friendship connection. I think that there's nothing better than getting together, but then, you know, I am a, um, I don't know, what would you call me, a raving extrovert. <laughs> but even um, extreme introverts that I have known love being together, if only with one other person, because it makes them feel seen and loved. And I think that we can better be the hands and feet of Jesus if we can actually reach somebody with our feet in our hands. We are better together. And God knew that. He designed us to be together. I like to say that if God wanted us to be by ourselves, he would have given us each our own planet. You may have heard me say that before. I know some of you listening today with small children, like four children under the age of four, now, I love being a mother. It is a great gift from God. But there are times that my own planet uh, sounds like exactly what I need. And maybe you're feeling the same way or you're driving to one activity <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> or another uh, to help your junior high children or going to a sports activity or your husband just retired and you're not sure how all that's going to work out. Your house seems a little crowded with him home all the time. And you would prefer your own planet about now. But that's one more reason we need each other to help us through those different seasons. You know, there's, as they say, there's nothing more inevitable than change. And we go through different seasons where sometimes there's lots of people in our homes and sometimes there is not anyone in our home. Right now we uh, Bethany had the harebrained idea to take our, our very um, vibrant dog, Holly, up to their house in San Francisco. We'll see how long that lasts. But it's a little lonely without Holly. It's kind of weird because I'm not actually a dog person, but actually, I guess I have become attached to Holly. I can talk uh, to Holly and not feel like I'm uh, losing my mind, even though she doesn't necessarily... <laughs> understand what I say, though she's a very smart dog. I remember a time I called my sister in Indiana, and I began the conversation with, is it too late to say that I wasn't meant to have children? And she had the nerve to say, yes, it was too late. <clears throat> then, so she wouldn't know exactly to whom I was referring, I asked, when one has hormonal issues, how does one keep from, first of all, making angry outbursts, secondly, being too hard on my, I mean, one's children, and or third, eating all the chocolate chip cookie dough before baking the cookies? Now, my sister Lori wasn't able to catch all of this since my mouth, I mean, one's mouth was full of cookie dough at the time, as I recall. But when I finally got my question across, and I was only half serious, I mean, come on. My sweet little sister, who did take me seriously, answered my question. All my questions, 
by responding with, you do what you're doing right now. She wasn't referring to cookie dough. It took me a moment to let it sink in. And I realized I did feel better, at least less murderous. Just having spilled that little bit of frustration over the phone, that little bit of self-doubt. Now, at every age and stage, we get a little bit of self-doubt, admit it. And we wonder, are we doing the best we can? Or should we be doing something else? Uh, and we get these self-doubts, a little bit of insecurity. And we just need to spill it out over onto someone who loves us unconditionally which of course is God. But hopefully you have someone in your life who loves you even when you're spilling out in a way that is not the best way at the time. God wants us together. We are on the same planet, but sometimes, sometimes you might feel like you are alone, even surrounded by tons of people. We can still feel lonely, feel lonely, like no one really knows us, that no one really cares. Mother Teresa wrote this, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. Now, I like it that she said the feeling because she knew that God loves everybody. And you know, perhaps, hopefully you know that God loves you. But she said the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. And she worked with the most horrific, terrible kinds of poverty, didn't she? A single mother uh, from another church wrote this to me. It is still incredibly easy to feel invisible at my church for a number of reasons, even though I worked there for a long time. And the longer that goes on, the harder it is to admit that I am lonely. David Brooks, the New York Times journalist, wrote in his great book, The Second Mountain, that 35% of Americans over the age of 45 are chronically lonely. Now think about it. If you are over the age of 45, are you part of that 35% that you are chronically lonely? He goes on, and only 8% report having important conversations, important conversations with their neighbor in a given year. Wow. Wow. Are you part of that 92%? This is not to make you feel shameful, but I'm just curious. Are you part of that 92% of not having an important, and you know what I mean by important, conversation with your neighbor in a given year. You know, God's commands are simple. They're just not easy. They're simple in that he says, these are the top two, love me, love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you keep your neighbor at arm's length. If you don't know the important things going on in their lives, so that you can even touch their arm and say, I'm so sorry, or I'm going to be praying for you today, or come on over for a cup of coffee. God knows that we do, do better together. 
When I was in my 20s and I was single, it was before dating apps, and I was in a career and doing a little bit of ministry, I would get lonely on occasion. After church on Sunday, I would wonder why families wouldn't ask me over for Sunday dinner. After all, that's how I was raised. You invite people home for dinner. That's what you do. That's what Sundays are for, right? I would stand in the parking lot and I would look around me and I would watch these families drive away in their vans. This was the beginning of the van generation before the automatic doors. And I would see them wrestling with their kids, getting them into their car seats, and they might wave at me. I knew they loved me, and off they would go. And But I would think, now, now why didn't they invite me home for lunch with them? All I could think of was that those friends at church must have thought I had such an exciting single life that I wouldn't want to come home to their normal, ordinary home and stand at the sink and peel potatoes and sit down with their families. Now, after I had children... I understood why they didn't, but at the time, I was lonely. I just wanted someone to invite me over for lunch. Well, I got tired of waiting, so I finally just invited them over on weekends. I couldn't do weeknights. I was working full-time. I didn't have a lot of money. I was a high school teacher in a Christian school. So I invited several women for brunch on several different Saturday mornings. I invited others over because I needed friends. I call that sanctified self-serving. It's something you do that God wants you to do, but it really helps you, right? I love that. By the time I left that area, I had at least seven women who were older and wiser than myself who loved me and poured their lives into mine, willing to meet me for lunch or for coffee at any given Day, Mrs. Keenel, Mrs. Mustin, Mrs. Gray, Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Larson, Mrs. Garrison, most of whom are in glory now. Whoa, what a joy they were to me. And they would pay for the lunch too. Mrs. Garrison was my first uh, true mentor. She'd have me over all the time. Such a blessing. She's with Jesus now. I write about her in my mentoring book, the point is this, sometimes you just have to make it happen. That's what I'm telling you girls and men, if you're listening, and not wait for someone else to pick up the phone or to send a text. We need each other, and there's no reason to deny that fact and pretend that we don't. We can be great pretenders. Someone wrote me on this subject, I am totally guilty of acting like my loneliness is something to be ashamed of. So I doubt I let people know as often as I should. I wonder if we could all admit to feeling that way one time or another. Loneliness carries with it an amount of shame. And shame is from the pit, and we are not pit people. As one of the most ex extroverted people I know, and I am warning people nowadays that I'm only getting worse, <laughs> I have still found myself lonely at times. I don't like it. It's a killing feeling. It's different from solitude because it's not by choice. And it sucks the joy out of life. Paul Tillich wrote this. Language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. 
and has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Our college, our high school student who lived with us for three and a half years, Yvonne He from China, just is graduating from, or just graduated from Cal Poly. And so she was over for dinner recently. And she said, well, when I go to Northwestern for grad school in the fall, I am going to look for a studio apartment because I want to see what it's like to be alone. I think it's good for you. And I thought to myself, Hmm, Northwestern is on the coast of Lake Michigan. It will be get it will get very cold and windy and lonely. So I will plan to send her care packages, but that's what she said. But I think what she meant was the value of being alone. We all need some solitude. Some of you more than others. That's the good. That's the positive part about being alone. We need solitude so we can make our lists. We need solitude to evaluate our accomplishments, to pray for our families. I recently returned from our sibling reunion and we shared at each meal prayer requests. A different couple would be like the spotlight. And each would share a prayer request or when they shared about what God was doing in their lives, prayer requests came out and then we prayed for them. It was so precious. So when I got back from the sibling reunion, I wrote to them all, I have four siblings, and I said, okay, on Mondays, I'll pray for Hyatt Nance. He's my oldest brother. And I just figured Monday, first day of the week is for the eldest, right? And then it was just easier to remember that way. So Tuesday, pray for my next brother, Steve and Karen. And Wednesday, pray for my older sister, Linnell, and her husband, Roger. And then Thursday was my day to pray for you. So send me a prayer request and pray for my children. I always can pray for my children every day, but just to make sure I do on Thursdays. Three daughters and a husband from Iowa who thinks he's a contractor. We need a lot of prayer. And then Friday, my youngest sister and her husband, Leonard, outside Chicago, who hopefully will be able to have my Chinese student over when she goes to Northwestern in the fall. We need solitude to pray for each other. We need solitude to read a good book. We need solitude to get re-energized and to be still and know that God loves us, and to be still and to remember that God is in control in a world that is fast becoming more and more out of control. So many shootings this last month alone. Jesus modeled good solitude for us, stealing away from the crowds and even from his 12 besties to be alone with his father. But solitude is not the same kind of aloneness as loneliness Loneliness is negative. Solitude is necessary. Loneliness can hit you in a crowded courtyard after church or surrounded by family or in a marriage, even a good marriage. When I moved to Brazil for two years of high school teaching back in my, well, I guess I was 30, I left a great group of friends, those ladies I just mentioned. And although I was surrounded by wonderful Wycliffe Bible translator missionaries when I got there, I still needed friends. I would meet them and they were kind to me, but they'd been there a while. They had made their friendships. My wiser older roommate, Joan from England, figured that out. So she said, within the first week or so, you need to invite people over like on Friday. So we sent out invitations to singles and families mixed together. 
And something I haven't mentioned for a while is that later afterwards, I would have them for dessert and the singles would stay behind and they would say, thank you for including us with families. We usually get put together with each other. Different groups each week. I did it for about five or six weeks on a Friday night. I served apple crisp and vanilla ice cream each time. I became an expert on apple crisp. There were no chocolate chips in Brazil in those days. I need to ask my Brazilian friends to find out if that has changed in the last 35 years. <laughs> I, I imagine it has. I had people over because I was desperate for friends. Again, self-serving, um, sanctified self-serving. I made friends because I needed to. Doing something good that benefits me as well. We all need to connect with others. It's no secret that we do, but when we are lonely, we keep it a secret. Why? Because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to admit. It must mean that there is something wrong with us, with me, that no one has called or emailed or texted or wanted to go to the movies or go to Starbucks with me. It's my problem, I think. And the more I think about that, the worse I feel. And if I feel badly, will I call someone to come for apple crisp or my chocolate chip pie? No, I will not. We'll feel more puny so we don't reach out. Yet, maybe that person I would call needs my call and my pie even more than I do. It is amazing what God does with a simple invitation. We can carry a secret shame of feeling alone to admit that we need help in finding friends. At our church, we've been studying Hebrews the last, I don't know, several months and we heard more than once that we are in a race and we run better when we run alongside others. Loneliness calls for help, but often it's a silent call. We want others to reach out to us so that we don't have to. We want to be rescued from our loneliness. The fact that we have to be rescued makes us feel worse. If you're feeling lonely at times, you're not alone. Make that call. I'd be happy to share my favorite recipe for apple crisp. It's a killer for loneliness. I'll put it in the show notes. Kathy Vick said this, the church is supposed to be a sanctuary, not just have one. So if people feel forgotten or ignored or invisible at church, then we have a serious problem. I love that. We aren't just to have a sanctuary here at my church, Grace Central Coast. We are to be sanctuaries for each other. Your church as well. Wherever you go to church, it's supposed to be a sanctuary, not just have a building. We are to be sanctuaries for one another. A sanctuary is a place of rest. It's a place of peace and safety. Why safety? I think so we can be safe to be ourselves. Steve Janney said, we all need a friend we can be weak with. Do you have a friend that you can be your complete self with? I'd just gotten in from a four-day trip, and I listened to a phone message. Sue, can your family come for dinner tomorrow after church? Well, that would be a yes. Mark goes, where are we going? I said, it doesn't matter where we're going. We're invited for lunch. Isn't it spectacular? My friend Katie Bote, who had invited me, said that she had wanted to begin practicing hospitality, and we were first on her list. I was so grateful. I told her that she was my little sanctuary. And it was after church, not 
in church. It was not in the church building. It was at their home. She had stuffed potatoes. They were wonderful. If you are a Christian, you are God's little temple and sanctuary. And God wants us to help each other by providing sanctuary for each other when we need it, when life throws us unexpected hurts and curves, a miscarriage, a death of a loved one, a job loss, a disappointment in a relationship, a health crisis, a child prodigal. Disasters come as a surprise and they are unwelcome. Or just when you've come home after a four-day trip and you need someone to invite your family for dinner. Now, in the Bible, there's a great little story about a man on a stretcher who wanted to see Jesus, but couldn't get close to him because of the crowds and because he was on a stretcher. The book of Mark chapter two reads, the house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While Jesus was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, it says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I read that in the New Living Translation because I love that one line. They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, how in the world did they figure that out? Four men picked him up, stretcher and on, hoisted him up on a roof, dug a hole. Now, maybe the homeowner was not in the middle of a remodel. Maybe it took a lot of noise and effort and dust to dig a hole in their roof. These four guys were shamelessly invasive. Think about it. Then they dropped him gently, gently, I assume, down through the ceiling right at the feet of Jesus. Now, what was so important that they had to ruin someone's roof? Why couldn't they wait till he was finished? Why did they feel such an urgency to get him to Jesus? Well, of course, to be healed, right? So he could walk. He was paralyzed. We would assume that's why they were doing it. I'm sure that's what they were hoping for. But Jesus had so much more in mind for him, and he does for us as well. The first thing Jesus said was, my child, your sins are forgiven. We pray, Lord, I need a new job. I need a new refrigerator. I need a new body. I need a new husband. I need a new house. And Jesus says, ah, oh, but I have so much more in mind for you. So much more in mind. Come sit at my feet. Why do we need to come to Jesus? To get our sins forgiven so that we can relate to God 24-7. Now, we all have sins that need forgiving, and if we forget, our children remind us on a regular basis how we've messed up. In fact, from ages 9 to about 20, everything becomes the mother's fault. Mom, I love you, turns to mom, you're so annoying. We need Jesus to help us through those years and to forgive us our sins. I need him to give me the grace to relate well with my three adult daughters and a man from Iowa who thinks he's a contractor. Jesus came to save us, and we all need saving. We're all a little lost until we put our trust in him. Now, I think the problem with the generation nowadays is that they don't feel lost, and they don't feel the need. But when we are honest with ourselves, when we fail with our spouse or with our children, when we react rather than respond, when we don't have a gracious 
tone of voice, when we lay awake at night with anxiety, that's when we came face to the, come face to face with the truth of the gospel. We cannot do life well by ourselves. And this is the good news of the gospel. As John Ortberg wrote, Jesus relentlessly pursues us because all he's ever wanted is to be with us. These four guys knew that it was imperative they get their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. They just didn't know how important it was. So they did what any good friend would do. They broke open a hole in the roof of a stranger's home and made sure he got right where he was supposed to be, right down in front of Jesus. And Jesus forgave his sins and healed his legs, a double blessing. We do not heal people. We do not do the work of redemption and salvation. We be a friend to one another and bring people to the only one who can truly heal our broken hearts and messed up paths. And we might have to be shamelessly invasive to do that. Are you willing? Jesus did the real work, didn't he? These four fellows brought their friend to the one who could actually do the work. Their, their names aren't even recorded. Who they were was not important to the story. They couldn't help the man, but they knew where to take him to get help. I'm convinced that at any given time, we should be either helping lift someone else's stretcher or we are on the stretcher, being lifted by someone. All the lifting is to take us to Jesus. We are either needing to be brought to him or we need to be bringing someone else to him. We will all get a turn at each, sometimes simultaneously. One day it was 10 degrees or so in frosty Wisconsin, but hearts quickly warmed around a simple lunch in a pastor's home. My sister, a darling pastor's wife in Horicon, Wisconsin, called me to say that she'd had the best time and wasn't God good and this is just what she needed, something jolly. She really does talk that way. I said, you know what? I can't really talk because I'm having a pampered chef party in 30 minutes and the pampered chef lady, Cindy, is already here setting things up, but I know you want to tell me the story. So go ahead, tell me what happened. She went on to say that her friend, another pastor's wife, Janet, whom she sees about two times a year, had invited her over for lunch. Janet said, well, the Lord put you on my mind and I've found that when he does that, that person usually needs to talk or I need to talk. Right on both counts. They both talked up a storm and Lori was elated. Now, why was Lori so excited? She said this was the first time anyone had invited her over in the two and a half years that they had ministered there in the middle of a cornfield near the Horicon Marsh. First time she practically yelled into the phone to me and guess what we had to eat? Guess what we had to eat? She said, well, I couldn't wait to hear because I'm a foodie and she was so excited. She said, we had canned soup. Subway sandwiches and Pringles. I love Pringles, she said. I almost told her to just put the whole can on the table. Her friend Janet said, I'm not here to impress you with my cooking, but I was gone all day yesterday and God put you on my mind. So that's that. How are the kids? Lori went on to share how she was feeling and the times that she was praying just that very morning about her children. And she just cried that morning. And here while she was crying and praying, Janet was thinking about inviting her friend for lunch. Janet was quick to say that he experienced similar situations with their kids. So they talked and they cried and they prayed. Lori said she took notes on the tablecloth because it was paper. And then she brought it home with her. Who needs a journal when you have a tablecloth? 
My sister's friend listened to God's prompting. She didn't just listen, she acted on it. There's a huge difference between hearing God's voice and actually doing something about it. Maybe that's why you're listening to this podcast right now. God has been speaking to you, but you haven't taken the first step to act on what he's been saying. Her friend didn't serve a seven-course meal. She just obeyed her heavenly father, and God used her to bless my sister. She is in my top 10 of women I'm going to talk to when, whenever I visit Wisconsin, or maybe I'll have to wait till I get to heaven. We don't have to go to a lot of trouble to make a friend. We just need to make a friend. Don't do it because I said so. You do it because God has called us to run the race alongside one another. We all need a friend. Invite someone over. They need your table and maybe your tablecloth. Go to the dollar store and get a paper one. More than they need a culinary feast. Do not wait two years. It may be your pastor's wife or your women's ministry care director who needs your Pringles. I'd like you to think about somebody that you could invite over this week. Maybe you have a subway just down the street or you want to save money and just make sandwiches. And if you feel better about it, you can say, hey, we're not going to have a fancy meal. I just want to get together and hear how you're doing. Also, if you're not driving, well, maybe you're driving and listening to this or walking, but if you're at home or when you get home, you can draw a little rectangle on a piece of paper and pretend it's a stretcher. And on each corner of the stretcher, list four people you know who would be willing to lift you up when you're in a crisis. And one person you would be willing to lift up. I don't think anyone ever expects to be lonely, which is odd after all, so much of life is comings and goings. You leave college to find a job and you lose those tight-knit close friends. You leave, leave a career, maybe temporarily, to have babies and you lose that colleague connection. Your kids grow up eventually and leave. Your husband dies quite suddenly or leaves you and you are left bereft and alone. It's unfair. Life in all its fullness brings holes along with it. I love my kids to visit and I don't mind it when they leave. But for at least a half a day, I feel so incredibly sad that they have left. It's just normal, I've decided. My friend Lori told me that when both her kids went to summer camp the same week, she went into their bedrooms and cried. Life changes. We might experience pockets of loneliness. What can we do about it? How can we banish loneliness in ourselves and for others? My friend Kathy wrote me what she did. She said, Sue, my husband and I just moved into a new neighborhood this year. We started an experiment. We began waving to people we didn't know, stopping to introduce ourselves and progress to conversations in our neighbor's driveways. Now we're receiving fresh vegetables from Bunny next door, and we're taking meals to neighbors recovering from surgeries and planning a Christmas treat we could take to everyone that will sweeten their holiday. Our experiment opened our world. Can you think of someone in your neighborhood that may need a little TLC? Something that you could share with them, maybe a bag of lemons or inviting them to tea or soup. Take time for some conversation with them. Extend your nets and increase your circle of sanctuary. Now I know it may seem like an Olympic event for some of you, but boil it down to something you feel comfortable with. Make it simple. Baby steps are okay. 
You may not live in a real actual neighborhood. My friend Michelle says she doesn't, but I know she invites people over all the time from her church. Just choose what of the person that God has put on your mind and heart. My friends Grace and Debbie and Cecily were having lunch with me one day at my house and Grace said, girls, I'm going back to work part-time and I'm going to miss meeting with you so much. And I said, well, we can do something about that, Grace. So I went to the calendar and we planned out dates that she didn't work to meet at each of our homes for breakfast or for lunch for the next year. We took turns. We ate at home to save money. We prayed for each other's families. And we were each on the stretcher at one time or another, but always holding up the corner of another stretcher at the same time. When Grace moved to Cape Cod, we invited Lori to join us and we met for about 14 years. If you start this kind of thing this week, you can say in 14 years, we've been meeting for 14 years. This doesn't happen without putting it on the calendar. We rarely saw each other in between meetings. We always ate more food than we prayed. We laughed more than we cried, but it helped banish loneliness. Everyone listening to this today can do this. Don't make your group too big. It's too hard to coordinate schedules. Ecclesiastes says, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 4, 9 through 12, it says, in part, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand and conquer. Three are even better. The problem is not that we fall. We all fall at one time or another. It's the one who falls alone. Two can stand and conquer. Three are even better. God loves connectedness. He made himself a trinity after all. In closing, I'll tell you the story. I was getting a pedicure. You know how they are mostly Vietnamese uh, employees. The gal doing my feet seemed particularly friendly. So occasionally I lifted my eyes from my book and I made some conversation. And I wanted to be politically correct. So I asked her, what is your first language? And she said, Korean. I was amazed. I said, I'm surprised. I thought you were all Vietnamese. She said, they are. I am the only one. I can't understand a word they're saying. We all left. I said, well, I have two women, young women from Korea living in my home right now. I told her the whole story and she told me her story. Her husband worked out of town most of every week and she was on the verge of empty nest. I said to her, you must be so lonely. She said, yes, I am so lonely. But yesterday I had a good dream and you are my good dream. Well, I wasn't sure about that, but I did say, let's call one of my Korean students and you can speak Korean. So we did. And I had to hold the nail polish so she wouldn't drop it all over my feet while she chatted away with Yoon. A couple weeks later, she and another friend, Michelle, who is Mongolian but also speaks Korean, came for tea and we had the best time. You may not be someone's good dream. You might not be called to go to Korea or Mongolia or Brazil, but we are all called to make connections, to be a friend. We're all called to go across the street, to show the love of Christ for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of that person who needs your friendship. You might be thinking, well, I'm never lonely. Maybe not, but someone else is. God is all about connections. The reason we had to have a savior is so that we could have a personal connection to God. Let's pray. 
If you're not sure you have a, a relationship with God, pray this prayer along with me. And we can email about it later, sue at welcomeheart.com. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. I pray that I will follow you my whole life and I'll never be lonely completely again because you love me so much. And for the rest of you who know Jesus already, let's pray as well. Father, thank you for the people in my life. Show me how to connect better to them. Help me to make that call. I'm nervous about it. Help me to make that text. Show me what to make. Maybe I'm supposed to buy something from Costco. Help me to know how to give and to receive your love. All for heaven's sake. Amen. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.